Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Team Human is an ad-free, listener-supported community project. People always ask me, how can I join Team Human? I usually tell them, if you're alive, you're already on Team Human. Just go find the others. But if you want to get some skin in this game, I encourage you to go to teamhuman.fm, click on support, and join teammates like Amanda GTS, Eduardo Fernandez, Stephen at Urban Greenspace, Michaela and Mel the Skillet, who've been supporting members and gained access to our Discord channel, our Team Human audio salons, as well as free admission to our Team Human live events. The Team Human community helps each other develop ideas, find jobs, moral support, solidarity, as well as some compassionate pushback. You'll also get access to the Team Human team feed with bonus content, including conversations I've had over the years with legendary Team Human pioneers, including Timothy Leary, Terrence McKenna, Joanna Harcourt-Smith, Nina Graboy, Genesis, Briar P. Orridge, and many, many others. You can even get books, t-shirts, signed membership cards, and the knowledge that you're keeping a roof over our editor's head. Please join Team Human and gain access to to our shared clothing optional team human dream space every night during your sleep. See you there. You're on team human. Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an experience of a reality before the verse went meta, where things remain fungible and people have value beyond their tokens. I like you just the way you are. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, the actor, writer, media philosopher, and comic behind the YouTube series Pitch Meetings, Ryan George. What I've found is that like, I, I like asking why a few more times than is comfortable to kind of deconstruct those things. Ryan's going to help us contend with the absurdity of our particular instance in the multiverse and maybe just help us navigate ourselves into a nicer one. It's time to intervene on behalf of people. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Well, last week we got our most direct pitch yet for the profound reversal of human beings and technology that Silicon Valley's demigods have been dreaming about since the beginning. Mark Zuckerberg has launched his Metaverse project and even changed his whole company's name to Meta, as if to signal to us that his virtual reality universe won't be some dingy little digital simulation we enter when we choose. Nope. His metaverse will ultimately encompass the rest of our reality, connecting bits of real space here to bits of real space there, and then totally subsuming what we think of 
as the real world. Zuckerberg is going meta on our universe, or at least he's hoping to. When I clicked on the link to the Metaverse keynote event that my friend sent me, and the video started to play, I actually assumed I was watching a deep fake, like some kind of yes-men prank. I thought it was a joke that someone had modeled Mark Zuckerberg's face and gestures really well and created a satirical infomercial for a non-existent Facebook product. Or maybe it was an animation by Facebook that everybody in it would would get revealed eventually because their, their cadence and inflection and gestures. They, they were like characters in a video game. And I was sure that the presentation would just come to an end and they do one of those big one more thing reveals and tell us we're watching a 3D model of Zuckerberg and his employees the whole time. Welcome to the metaverse. But no, this was the real Mark Zuckerberg and his most trusted employees pitching the metaverse, Facebook's new virtual world of worlds, where we're supposed to do our working, playing, and socializing forevermore. And and I got it. I, I understood the vision. In the virtual and augmented future that Facebook has planned for us, it's not that Zuckerberg's simulations will rise to the level of reality. It's that our behaviors and interactions will become so standardized and mechanical that it won't even matter. Instead of making technology more compatible with human beings, these services and experiences slowly make human beings more compatible with technology and, of course, the market behind it. In the past, on platforms like Facebook and Instagram, this meant learning to value fame more than connection, likes more than love and sensation over meaning. Like, Dutifully, our teens sacrifice their mental health for image scrolling, and our politicians surrender governance for incitement. Yeah, we could conclude that our world is pretty accurately depicted in social media at this point, but that's only because our society has lowered itself to the level of these platforms. So now, just as we're waking up to the way Facebook has knowingly eroded our social, mental, and civic well-being, Zuckerberg is back with a new offering, a way out. Instead of struggling to make sense or peace in the real world, we can throw on a pair of VR glasses and step out into the metaverse he's building for us, or AR glasses and engage with everyone's metadata instead of looking them in the eye or pretend to be doing both at the same time. That's the whole function of the word meta. I remember back when they taught us postmodernism in college, I got stuck on that whole idea of meta. It's, it's what all the French philosophers were trying to do to each other and the world around them. By coming up with, with a meta, with, with a frame around everyone else's work, they could in effect go meta on them. It's like when, when Beavis and Butthead, remember them, they would comment on MTV rock videos from outside the frame of the video. They were going meta. Or when Bo Burnham pulls the camera back to reveal we're just watching a television set with another instance of Bo, they've gone meta by stepping outside one world into the larger embracing one, right? You're just in my picture. Meta does that first and foremost by becoming a holding company for all of Facebook's other properties. So Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger, Oculus, as well as Facebook itself. Meta is not a tech company so much as a conglomerate that buys and sells other tech companies like Alphabet is this parent company to Google and all of its subsidiaries and stuff. But on another level, Meta is the ultimate strategy for Facebook to get out of its many troubles. Facebook is not cool with kids, it's in trouble with the government, and its growth prospects are really quite limited compared to Google, Amazon, Apple, which all develop different technologies like AI and robots and cloud services. The one silver lining here would be if Zuck 
really does transcend the logic of Web 2.0, which was to create monopoly platforms for everything. So instead of being an online store, right, you become an aggregator of online stores like Amazon or an aggregator of games and music like Apple's App Store. And then you take 30% off the top of everyone else's sales. So the promise of the metaverse, at least as he's hinting in his presentation, would be that it's not a platform at all, but a set of protocols right? There's no single platform, but a big open source universe of blockchains spawning out NFT versions of characters and clothing that are owned or sold by the creators. And it sounds really good, but given Zuckerberg's history as a not so good actor, I'm not holding my breath. Just as it was hard to imagine the original internet becoming a digital strip mall, it's easy to overestimate the liberties unleashed by new, seemingly decentralized architecture like blockchains. Going meta is Facebook's escape hatch. It's Zuckerberg's way of telling us, forget about all the destruction his platforms have caused before, and instead, look at the big picture. But if you look hard enough, you'll see it's not a big picture at all. It's a tiny network of virtual worlds connected by a business plan that always leaves its users with a bit less than they started with. Now, to get through the portal to Facebook's metaverse, I have a feeling we'll again be asked to leave our humanity behind. on Team Human. I'm delighted to bring you today's guest, another brilliant, funny thinker I've met since my return to thinking about memes and cultural transition and mutation, Ryan George. You have to check out his work if you're not already one of the 1.3 million people who've subscribed to his YouTube channel. He's an independent comedian making remarkable one-person-but-many-character videos. This guy is funny, smart, deep, and Canadian. This is the kind of discussion that makes my job fun and easy. Here's my conversation with Ryan George. So, hey, Ryan George. So, shoot, I forgot exactly how we met. I, did you email me first? You sent out uh, kind of your email oh, blast right. newsletter, and I, I just responded. I don't know what compelled me to do it. I didn't know if it was one of those right. emails you can even answer, but you answered back pretty quickly. So, I was like, oh, I guess that wasn't just a newsletter thing. Right. Oh, right. Well, it is just a newsletter thing, but then oh. I still respond to everybody. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. That, that takes a lot of work. It does at times, yeah. I'm over the respond to every single email I receive thing that I, I got over that. Because it's like the middle school kid who's like, oh, my teacher you know, says I have to do a book report on media virus that you wrote. Please <laughs> tell me what it's about. It's yeah. Like, uh, okay, no. But you're right. You're responding to a, a, something I had sent out. I usually send out kind of written versions of my monologues from this show. And it was sort of about social media addiction and how it led people to get all icky and mean. And then you sent me a link to this wonderful video you made in the style of your your genre. You know, you do this for people who don't know. Ryan George does these um, videos called pitch meetings, right? Yep. And they're terrific. I mean, I had to watch a bunch of them before I realized they all have the same premise in some ways, not all of them, but most of them, yeah. that they're pitches for things that we already know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But when uh. they're pitched as what they are, they sound so bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or sometimes yeah. inventive, but it's like, that worked? That's yeah. what I'm always filled with. I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, over 250 episodes now, and it's always, if you take a step back and over-explain things, <laughs> the movies just fall apart. They really do. And it's a really fun way because it's a, it's a gentle, fun, team human-esque way of pointing out some of the flaws in these things. Like you take, you know, one of those weird Christopher Nolan movies with worlds within worlds and you're like, okay, so mm -hmm. then they dream this and that. They don't really ever explain this. No, we don't. We don't explain that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, just moving on, moving on. That's fine. Yeah. And I love it because it's always sort of this, mostly the same sort of movie executive yeah, who's taking these pitches. And I just love his whole personality because he'll like, 
you'll say the thing that's totally wrong. He'll point out what's wrong with it. And then you say like, well, yeah, that's intentional. And the guy just goes, okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I quickly realized if you go back and watch my early pitch meeting videos, it's very like they're, they're, they're kind of unsmiling and a little more serious, but I quickly realized that being uh, very over the top excited about it, even though there's horrible <laughs> mistakes being made, m- made it a lot funnier because like, like if, if they made these mistakes with big smiles on their faces with the best of intentions, just making horrible decisions, right. that kind of like, it kind of clicked like, oh yeah, I should, I should smile like an idiot when I do these. Yeah. But I love the character of that guy. Cause you kind of want to hate the film executive because he's a film executive. But then, you know, I guess over time, if you watch enough of them, it starts to feel like a TV series where Mm. you are knowing this character and watching him develop. You know how in a comedy, like the characters that start out as like bad characters, eventually you have sympathy for them. And yeah, if you just, you get to know them. uh, Right. Yeah. yeah, Like Loretta Swit on MASH. You know, she starts out when we're kids, she's like this horrible nurse character. And then she's like making love with Hawkeye by the end of it, you know, this deep dimension. So the guy is like, he loves, he loves TV and movies though, that executive. And he's like watching it. I get the sense like he's like thinking, okay, I'm watching that. All right, all right, this character. But I don't like this. Oh, all right, all right. I won't think about that. Okay, I like yeah, it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's super excited. And he's easily, if he if he sticks on something that really doesn't make sense, he can easily be convinced that it's fine because it'll make money. You know, like that's, that we could, <laughs> you could just move on. It's fine. Like, oh yeah, no, no, no. is that going to save us money on VFX? Yeah, let's go. Okay, let's do that then. Okay, fine. Um, yeah, okay, good. Exactly. Could you imagine? I mean, have you been in real pitch meetings for like TV shows and things? I have, yeah. And I've had conversations with actual studio executives and actual screenwriters, some of whom are the people who made the actual movies I've made pitch meetings for. And shockingly, they've said it's not that far off from the actual conversations that have happened. You know, like sometimes a a studio will give a note to a writer that's just like, oh, like these kinds of movies need, you know, this kind of CGI fest in the third act. and, And they they kind of have to write that in and and then they have to kind of go back and insert a scene that explains why that happens and it doesn't really make sense in the context but they need that scene so it so it makes sense later so it's it they just become these frankenstein monsters that are trying to give the audiences what they expect rather than tell a compelling story right i mean if a movie is focused on its theme and its story i don't really have anything to say, and I can't really make a pitch meaning about it. But as soon as they start to go over the top with it and, and try to give like the fan service, and st- I, I'm, you know, I'm golden. <laughs> right. No, it's weird though, because I've, I've been starting to experience some pitch meetings now over mm-hmm. Zoom, really, you know, because uh, trying to get like my graphic novels and old novels and stuff made into like TV shows and movies. And there was this, you know, one of these networks was saying how um, they want to be, um, what's it called? Female forward. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, okay, female fart. I'm finding out what does it mean? It's oh well, you know, because of Me Too and all that, we want to have movies and shows that are about women and are empowering for women and empowering mm-hmm. for female culture and girl role models and all that. And then so I'm like, okay, you know, so I could take this story and instead of having it from the male point of view, I could have it from the female character's point of view. And I kind of thinking about it, and then they're like, uh, okay, now um, is there sex? Um <laughs> What does she look like? Well, can she be extra pretty? <laughs> yeah. And well, what about could she have sex with girls and boys? And then I'm yeah. like, Geez, oh, she so wanted to be female forward and completely exploitational of yeah. women as objects at the same time, right? Can, you want your yeah. cake and eat it too. Can she be hot, but she doesn't know it? <laughs> exactly. <Can> she... <laughs> exactly. But really hot, right? Yeah, I mean, really she, hot. Could she take her glasses <laughs> off and then you see how pretty she is? Yeah, yeah, right. 100%. Yeah, they do try to force stuff like that sometimes just because, yeah, that's what's what's expected. It makes me think of uh, there's this scene in Avengers Endgame where it's a cool, like, they have all, visually, it's awesome. You have all the female superheroes and they're all standing in a line and they all do this one thing together. And it's like they all fly into this one spot and it, they all pose and it's great. But then if you think about it for even a second, the logistics of every single female hero specifically flying to one spot. Like, why would they do that in the heat of battle? <laughs> but it looks great, you know, and it's right. a cool moment. But why would, what advantage would that be <laughs> in the heat of a fight? 
Right. Well, yeah. You can always tell a studio note. I think they always stand out like a, thor- a sore thumb in movies like that. You can always tell when there was like, oh, that was probably in the original draft. And then they added this in because that's what they're trying to. They're trying to score right. points in this way and that way. So you make all those, though. All those videos about about uh, uh, these these pitch meetings, which reveal um, really um, without letting anybody know, you're doing semiotics on movie making and TV. I mean, this is like advanced Baudrillard level, whatever, <laughs> but just coming so matter of fact and and straightforward and fun. It, it's a it's all you need. I would say instead of coming to where I teach at Queens College to get a master's in media studies, just watch fifty. Pitch meetings, <laughs> and you will have. It's like I always tell people when they want to go to acting school. I'm just like, learn how to play poker. You know, if- <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. There, there. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like it's like school of hard knocks. Media theory is all there. I love it. But then you did this thing that you sent me this link to to something like pitch meetings. But what it is is like as I imagined where you were. Which it it's the alternate dimension convention, right? Exactly. So- <laughs> So it's all these little tables set up, just like a convention, but these dudes or everybody in your videos is you, which is great for COVID, by the way. It's yeah, wonderful I, strategy. I didn't miss a production beat. <laughs> but each table is basically selling their dimension, right? Yeah, just like cool stuff that ha- that they have in their dimension. So <laughs> at the first table, the guy's showing off wasps, and he's like, oh, aren't these awesome? And the guy's like, no, not really. They sound... <laughs> Terrible. I love that. Wasps, they kill things smaller than themselves and yeah. hurt things bigger than themselves. Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, I don't like wasps. But then he moves right on. And let me let me play where he goes. Hi there. Hello. Hey there. Hi. What's this? What is this thing you do? Yeah, so this is a thing called social media algorithms. We're, we're actually pretty proud of them. Right. What does that mean? It's on this thing called the internet. You guys have the internet in your dimension? Oh, yeah. I think we used to have that, but people didn't like the sound that little box made, so it didn't really catch on. Okay, so in our dimension, people didn't really mind the sound, and so the internet caught on everywhere, and now algorithms are a thing. But what is, is it like a music thing? Like musical algebra? Or? No, it's not musical algebra. It's a thing that gets to know what kind of stories you respond to to try to keep you engaged. What do you mean? Well, for example, here's a story about a puppy being raised by a cat. You guys have cats and dogs? We do. Uh, Yeah, that's cute. That's a cute story. Uh, So then here's a story about a guy who was walking home from work and somebody cut his ear off. Oh my god, what? Ah, okay, see, seems like you really responded to this story. Okay, see, that's good to know. I mean, that that that's shocking. So yeah, I did react to that, sure. So okay, I'll show you more of this kind of thing. Seems like you like it. Well, I don't know if I... I like it. Yeah, it seems like you were really into that story. Okay, now here's a story about some students that found a way to fight forest fires faster. Oh, nice. That sounds, you know, that sounds like an important development. And here's a story about some students that went around starting forest fires on purpose. What? Why would they do that? Uh, okay, more interest in the second one I see. That's, see, already a pattern emerging. That's great. Well, I mean, obviously the second one made me angry, so that's a bigger reaction. Engagement is engagement to the algorithm. You're obviously very interested here. Okay. So then the algorithm would probably show you, well, first of all, it'd show you an ad for an addictive game you play on a telephone. What was that? Yeah, we get a lot of money to slip those in there. Don't worry about that. All right. Next up, we got a story about a bunch of criminals running around the streets causing problems and another story about a really bad guy getting out of prison early. Oh, okay. Those both seem pretty negative. Can I hear more puppy stories maybe? No, no, no. You had a much bigger reaction to the other stuff. So why would the algorithm keep showing you puppy stuff? I mean, oh, more about that ear cutting attack. Looks like it was done by somebody who doesn't share your beliefs. Huh. Would you look at that? Yeah, figures. Yeah, they're different from you and they did some bad stuff. That feels good to know, doesn't it? It does make me feel a little good because I know that people like me can't be the bad guys, you know? Yeah, and look at this. It turns out all that other bad stuff I mentioned, that was done by people different from you too. Is that true? It certainly sounds that way, doesn't it? So it is. I didn't say that. I just presented it in the same way I present everything so it's hard to tell fact from fiction. Oh, okay. I see what's going on here. All right. You do? I do. Yeah, I get it. People with different views from me are the root of all evil. That could be the conclusion that someone comes to if it drives engagement ad for something that aligns with the beliefs you've shown. Huh. And so, yeah, that's about it. I'd say the algorithm has you engaged now. You're hooked. How do you feel? I feel angry and scared and like my thoughts are the only right ones. Yeah, well, you know, maybe it would help to engage with other like-minded individuals that have been exclusively exposed to the same content as you. You know, that does sound good. I got a lot of pent-up frustration now. I bet, I bet. So why don't you head over and talk to my 
colleague. He can take it from here. Hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah, okay, I'll head over there. That sounds great. Yeah, you know, it gets pretty radical over here. Come on over. All right, see ya. Bye-bye now. And he uh, sends him over to the echo chamber guy. Yeah, exactly. The incredible thing here is that that's the whole social dilemma movie in two minutes. <laughs> Pretty <right>? much. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you're hoping for him. You know, he has this moment where he says, like, oh, I see what's going on here. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he gets it. He sees through. Yeah. That he's going to no. come up with the thing and slam the guy. But no, that people who aren't like me do bad things. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to see if I can step by step show how someone could get radicalized in like two minutes or less. You know, like, let's just. It was beautiful. And it's oh, also, you. you know, the guy who's who's representing the algorithms, he's just sitting there with some note cards. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing, he's making it look so simple, the way algorithms work. So it's not this magic thing. It's like old school direct marketing. We've got this stack of index cards. We read this one. Oh, you like this one. We'll take another one from this pile then. Oh, exactly. now we got this one. <laughs> oh, we'll do it. So you make it so it's very simple visual. It's not some weird, crazy piece of technology that's mind controlling you. Yeah, just a guy with index cards presenting everything in the exact same way, like in the same way that when you scroll through Facebook, a link from a crazy Patriot Battle info website shows up exactly the same as, you know, a, a reputable media source. And it, it's hard to tell the difference if you're just scrolling and reading headlines, you know, everything shows the same. Right. And there's but the matter of factness of it is really is part of it too. Well, why would you why would you want puppies? You say you want puppies, but why would we show you puppies if you're reacting more? You're not to interested this? in puppies. Clearly you're not. <laughs> so we'll just show you this. But yeah. then when he gets to the the secondary trauma of it is not just that right, all right, so you're seeing all these sensationalist things, but then the twist of and it's people who aren't like you. Uh-huh. who do this stuff, and he perks up more. And it's like, yeah. and I realized, oh, you know, it's actually, that all that is is increased sensationalism. Mm-hmm. It just stokes rage more. It's not like some other feature. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> if you're seeing negative things and negative things, and you're going to uh, try to find like, well, who's responsible for all this crap? And it's not, it's not going to be you. <laughs> so who's it going to be? It's going to be like, oh, this guy, <laughs> yeah, this guy thinks differently from me. Right. He did it. And now would you like to hang out with other people who recognize uh-huh. them? You yeah. Know? Yeah, exactly. It's a horrifying video. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. But one I would I kind of hoping we can preserve, like, you know, put it on one of those golden records. So when the <laughs> aliens come after civilization's over, someone would say, this is just put on it. This is what happened. Yeah. This, is- <laughs> this was this is how the war started. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. It's better than Terminator. It's not, you know, that that whatever that machine is that turned on humanity and sent Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, against us. Yeah, exactly. It's not that. We just did it to ourselves with a simple mirror algorithm. Exactly. And it, it, I mean, and it's so hard to get out of that mindset because obviously you don't want to feel like your side is wrong like and also like you want to feel like you're on the the right side but there shouldn't be sides necessarily on every single issue but there is i find there's always like a when when a news story breaks there's like a five minute window where it's just the story and then everyone quickly figures out whose fault it was and why it's the other side's fault and then that's that's what everyone's going to run with yeah, I know. I have a friend who's doing a lot of um, uh, research on COVID and the vaccines and government communication and all. And it's like every piece he writes is factual, but it becomes a Rorschach test for, mm-hmm. you know, for, oh, this means the government is evil and putting COVID yeah. nanobots in our blood. It's like, no. Oh, this means those damn red state people aren't taking enough vaccines and they're going to kill us all. No. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. a fact. It's, it's, a- <laughs> it's, it's fascinating if you could get past how horrifying it is to see that in action every day on social media. How, you know, like Ben Shapiro is trending every day, and half the stories are like, oh, Ben Shapiro owned someone in this debate. And the other half are like, oh, someone owned Ben Shapiro in this debate. And it's kind of like, well, which, like, ev- everyone looks at the same sentence the same way and thinks that Ben Shapiro was right about this or the other person was right about this. And it, it, like, no one agrees on anything. It's, 
it's insane. I've been I've been trying to stay off of Twitter for that reason. Right. And then there are these sort of media phenomena that you just the further you pull back, the story changes again completely. Like, you know, they'll take like a piece of footage of like some cop robber or or cop or perpetrator, you know, cop attacker thing. And you look at it really close up and it's like, oh, my God, that cop's just beating that guy. Then you pull back. And it's like, oh, my God, that cop's getting beaten by 30 guys. Yeah. Then you pull back more <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, there's 100 cops beating those 30 yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to do a sketch along those lines, but I uh, obviously I don't have the production <laughs> equipment for something of that scale. But yeah, just the further you pull back and you'd be like, OK, well, let's what's this guy's story? Oh, OK, we'll pull back. What's this guy's story? And Right. Truth just changes. It does, which is why, you know, it's so important, I think, to withhold judgment. I mean, I saw so many of my friends, it was a few years ago, you know, when they all got pulled into that Covington story about the kid staring down the Native American at the protest. He's wearing a MAGA hat and we're all Mm -hmm. like, oh, MAGA people are bad. So the kid must be bad. And then you see what happened and you go, oh, it actually wasn't quite what everyone was Uh thinking. And you look at it wider or any of the police cam footage. It's like, all you see is like, you know, the gun in the face and you pull back. Oh, well, this is, it's always more complicated. Yeah. Almost yeah, always. Exactly. You know? And just a few seconds before or after completely changes the context or the outcome. This is, this is just like a, a very stupid example. But uh, this week in Montreal, where, where I live, the mayor was talking about like we had, we had someone who was like in the tennis finals and she was doing a speech about like, oh, how inspiring it is to watch her. And she's like, she had like a little slip of the tongue where she's like, her passion for penis is uh, inspiring instead of tennis. Because <laughs> in French, like in French, tennis, tennis, penis are, have uh-huh. the same intonation. They right. rhyme in French more than in English. Um, and the first time I saw this clip, like it cut immediately after she slipped up and, and the comments were like, what an idiot. Like, oh, my God, she can't get her head out of the gutter. But then like the next version of the Aww. clip I saw, they kept in her reaction and she laughs at herself immediately and it's endearing and she's like oh my god that's so embarrassing and all the comments are like oh that's so that's so funny that happens to everyone and just just cutting off her her reaction completely changed how people were reacting to this clip that's right. just that's just a, a, a stupid little penis related example but <laughs> i know but it's also just the mean-spiritedness that's yeah that pervades our whole media space and culture now it's like people are looking for opportunities to take someone out of context and get them in trouble for 100%. what ends? I mean, oh, I guess it just, well, I get, you get more engagement. Right? Well, I mean, and, and I think like that's that, that email, that, that, that kind of newsletter blast that you sent out. That's what, that's why I responded. Cause I was like, yes, framing it as addiction makes so much sense rather than a cult, you know, like where, where people are diving into conspiracy theories or fighting each other on the internet. It's because it, you know, it feels good to find the, the next piece of the puzzle or to find out that s- someone you don't like is wrong about something. And it, feel, it feels good to share that and, and to have people react to that. And that's all everything is on, on the Internet, just like little dopamine hits. And, and uh, right. conspiracy theories are, are definitely addictive. It helped me because it was like, because I kept asking myself, how did these smart friends of mine end up believing crazy things? Mm -hmm. I say that, and I'll get emailed just for having said that. And I didn't say what crazy things or what smart friends. (laughs) I could be talking about lefties, and they're thinking I'm talking about them, or I'm talking Uh about righties, and I'm talking about them, and everyone just feels persecuted when you say it. But it's not a matter of being smart. It's that you get, it's, it's, you never ask someone, oh, He's so smart. How could he have become an alcoholic? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just, it's, you're getting these little dopamine hits from, from, from your computer screen or from your phone. And you you know what? Like even after I, I responded to your newsletter saying like, yes, that's the perfect way to contextualize this. It made me think about myself and my behavior on social media and, I click on, you know, I, I actively like click on, on the crazy things that people post on Facebook and stuff because it makes me feel good to kind of see what crazy stuff, like it makes me feel smart in a way, you know, cause like I click on the article and then I, I scroll down a bit. I'm like, oh yeah, this is why that's insane. This source doesn't make any sense or this, they're, right. they're taking this out of context and stuff. So that's something that I, uh, I personally want to work on myself and and hopefully other people can too. My problem is I do that with like 
I do that with like New York Times articles now. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll see a headline where they'll say something like, "Again, this is I, I don't mean to make any point about COVID or vaccines or anything, 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 except the New York Times." Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll see something New York Times headline. Oh, you know, Israel uh, schools open, leading to massive COVID upsurge. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so, you know, and they'll start the thing, article, you know, Israel opened up its schools, and now there's all these people who are um, sick with COVID. And then like three paragraphs down, of course, Israel also opened its bars, its, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. its, <laughs> its movie theaters at the same time. <laughs> but uh, we still have to do further uh, analysis of the data to see how responsible the schools were for this. And it's like, why are you doing that? Why yeah. are they doing that? It's because they want to make a specific point that they want to make. I understand when when whoever Newsmax or someone does that, and I've got my propaganda filter on. But when the Times does it, or CNN, or MSNBC, or one of the you know the trusted newsers, it really it gets upsetting because then I feel like, well, now you're just giving ammunition to all the people who want to say it's all fake news. A hundred percent, and 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 they they know full well that. You know, most people are just reading the headlines and not diving deeper for those lines about the bars and, and the restaurants. And and by framing it as a problem like with people's children, you're hitting something very close to home and you're you're pushing engagement and you're uh, you're ensuring that people are going to interact with your shit on social media. And that's extremely irresponsible from a human perspective, but from a business business perspective, they they look for those kind of like clickbaity nuggets of information within their articles, and it's uh, super harmful, you know. Yeah, and then you guess. I guess it is business, right? I'm hoping it's that because then it's just I do a structural critique of capitalism and I'm done, right? But but it it may not just be. I'm worried it might be something else, you know that they. Yeah, I guess the writer wants attention. You know, the writer wants it's not just money, even. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're in the dimension that you put in that, when we're in newsfeed algorithms dimension, which we kind of are. I mean, that guy's from our dimension, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the shopper is from a different inv- a different dimension where they got rid of the internet because they didn't like fifty six six modems and the, <laughs> the crazy sound, right? So that that's the thing because we first look at him when he's with with the character he's talking to before about wasps. We think that guy's from our dimension, but when he goes to the second table and talks to this algorithm guy. It's like, oh, the algorithm guy is in our world, and this guy is in some more innocent yeah. Charlie Brown universe or something where they don't have this stuff. But it becomes a, 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 a worldview or a set of behaviors that then end up being engendered. They're not thinking anymore. Like Ben Shapiro isn't consciously thinking, oh, I'll get more hits if I do this. It's mm-hmm. just – I get more love if I do this. I'm more important. I'm happier. I'm Yeah, it's the it's the classic, you know, uh, no press is bad press kind of thing. Right. Just attention is attention is attention and that's the that's the business model. Or like you said maybe it is the writer who is it's an ego thing where he wants he wants more engagement on his profile because that'll lead to other things for him like at the end right. of the day yeah, it boils it boils down to I guess ego or money or both. Either way, it's very harmful. <laughs> right. Because I'm thinking, you know, like our kids are living, our teenagers are living in that universe. They may not be, most of them anyway, are not financially tied to it. They're not like mm-hmm. paid influencers, but they're living in that social system. So that becomes their emotional value system, their social, their cultural value system mm-hmm. is based in that rage. It's not even. You know, then you don't even need to dangle money and profit and stock shares in front of people anymore. That's just how they are. Yeah, and it also it feels good if from the commenting perspective, I, people comment things on those articles on Facebook and whatnot. And then if someone disagrees with them, then you know, then they attack them like they're a virus, and that's like it right. becomes a game. It's like, oh yeah, oh, no, I'm gonna defeat you. Like the, it's like a gamification of 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 news. It's crazy to see. This is this is kind of a, like a different tangent, but what's what I find strange is that like people have no worries on Facebook of having their face and name, their real names attached to 
fully attacking people on social media. You know what I mean? Like they're they're proud to attack people with their there's no it's not about being anonymous and saying whatever you want. They're fully in public wishing horrible things on people. <laughs> It's right. wild. It is different, right? Because it used to be like, right? You'd see the meanest comments would come from these anonymous, like YouTube comments. Right. You know, it's people with names like, oh, like whatever Joker Party fan, Boy, Party, exactly, yeah. with a bunch of numbers at the end. But now it's like, no, it's Mike Smith from Wisconsin wants you to die from your COVID vaccine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, Mike. <laughs> Right, come to my house, 23 Main Street. Yeah, I've got exactly. six guns. I will blast <laughs> yeah, your face. <laughs> try to take them. Oh my gosh. So, but you, you're safe. I mean, I imagine you, you're safe in Montreal where everybody's free of all these kinds of things, right? It's all just happy people and snow, snow snorkeling. Snow snorkeling. <laughs> yes. That's all we do in Canada is snow snorkeling. <laughs> happy times and snow snorkeling. No, no, no. It's it's uh, it's very much all it's all here as well. And we have our extremist parties and stuff. There's federal elections going on right now. And it, it's social media is chaos right now. Everyone's arguing. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really Are you bad. born there or did you run there? No, I'm born born and raised here. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know people sometimes run away to to Canada. Yeah. And it is, uh, I imagine, you know, better in a lot of ways, but not, I, I think people sometimes see it as a utopia of that's free from all that yeah. stuff, but it's definitely not. It's definitely not. And I've seen like, you know, people I've worked with become very much radicalized on the internet and, and, and uh, promoting conspiracy theories and stuff. And uh, yeah, no, it's very much, I think it's everywhere, you know, anywhere that social media has reached, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but you speak French and everything. I do. You're... Yeah, I do speak French. And that's that's a whole <laughs> that's actually something that we have here that is unique to this province is that the French language, a lot of people feel that it's under attack because, you know, th th everything is English around the world for the most part. So there's a big movement to, like, protect the French language, which I understand, you know, it's like culture and stuff. But that's often done by attacking English speakers and stuff or passing laws that make it more difficult to to live your life in English in, in this city well, or this province. You know, the new, the new rules. The only way to help anybody is by hurting someone else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very much in it. Like, at my high school back in the day, I, I one time I got a detention for speaking English in the hallway. I went to a, a French high school, uh, and they're like, no, we speak French here, so <laughs> you gotta stay an hour after class. Oh, that's great. It's like, English is contraband. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's... Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm bilingual. I'm happy to be li bilingual, and it's uh, I, I love the French language as well. But it is just another thing where it's us versus them kind of mentality. And then people like me who are kind of perfectly bilingual, nobody really knows what to do with us. <laughs> you know, like, French people right. that are very much like separatists and want Quebec to be its own province. They're like, oh no, you're one of the good ones because you know how to speak French, so it's okay. And then there's also like strangely, people are very much obsessed with. American politics over here, uh, more so than our own politics. Just on social media, I see you know everyone's posting, especially when Trump was president. That's all you would see here is, is Quebecers oh, that's and we Canadians saw here too. Yeah, <laughs> really? Oh, you guys heard about Trump? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a big show. It was prime yeah. time. I mean, that was man. Yeah. That was the crossover. You know, reality TV became reality. It was like I don't know if we ever go back from that. That we was just, good for engagement. I mean. Yeah. That was a whole era where, you know, I think the big lesson throughout those years, f just for me personally, was to start to learn to pry myself away from social media because it's just like, it'll ruin your day immediately. I, I found myself just waking up and checking the news immediately and then letting that affect my entire day and, and just like, just feeling anxious and stressed yeah. out all day and, and and not even news from my country but it's just like you know trump felt so disruptive to the whole world that i was just like okay are we okay today like what's going on yeah i've just been writing about that i started to feel so compelled to know what was going on and i really can't do anything about most of it 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like in my parents' era, we used to sit down and we'd watch the news, like, you know, Dan Rather, whatever, on CBS, like 6.30 at night, they'd put it on. It was like half hour of kind of the digested headlines of the day. Oh, there's a war going on over there. There's a thing over here. And it's like now with the 24-hour news cycle and Rachel Maddow and CNN and, and Fox and everybody, it's like we're each supposed to have a position on like Joe Biden's Afghanistan withdrawal policy. It's like, I don't, I personally, I've never withdrawn from a (laughs) Middle East war. I don't know how it's done. I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have much to offer that conversation, you know? Yeah. People need to form opinions within minutes (laughs) if they want to interact with people and they do. Yeah. I guess they find the people that they agree with and then they copy paste those opinions Who's, who's to say those people are well-informed and aren't just copy-pasting someone else's reaction? Like who? Yeah, I remember. I used to have that experience like when um, I used to listen to a lot of sports radio and I had like sports friends. And then you have a conversation about like last night's Rangers game or Knicks game or something. And someone says something and then you're like, oh, you listen to yeah. WFAN, <laughs> the fan too. I, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah you got me. Yeah. It's like, you know, or someone talking about economics and it's like, oh, you read that Paul Krugman column that you're now parroting. Exactly. You know, but now they're parroting really crap, right? Now you're parroting something that was like the 90th comment on a Twitter thread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of the one of the craziest things are these articles that are made about – you know, like on BuzzFeed or, or Huffington Post or something. And it's like, this happened and people are going crazy on Twitter. And then you, if you click on the article, it's like, it's like the fifth response to a tweet where someone was like, oh my God, that shouldn't have happened. And there, there are like two retweets and it's like, why are we legitimizing this random person who reacted to a thing with no background on who this person is? And then this person's opinion has formed an entire article that's being pushed out onto every platform. I know. Once I realized CNN had become like Twitter news, they're just yeah. covering what's on Twitter. It's like, ah, oh, what's over? It's yeah. really over. You know? Yeah. I find a lot of a lot of times if you see a headline about a controversial thing that happened with an actor or something. Not not like I'm not talking about the Me Too movement or anything like of, yeah. of that scale, but the, this controversial uh, quote from this interview. Or this uh, this week there was like this crazy awkward moment with Jennifer Aniston and this uh, interviewer who asked a question. And then if you watch the video, it's not awkward at all, and they were both clearly joking. But just that becomes a controversy, and just that headline spreads, and it's like, oh my god, this interviewer attacked Jennifer Aniston, like, (laughs) it's crazy. They're just, like, creating drama out of thin air. It's crazy. I'm not doing well with with the internet right now. (laughs) I mean, well, you are in some ways, though. I mean, I'm looking at this, you know, showing off cool stuff to other dimensions on YouTube has 1.1% million views Mm -hmm. right so more people have watched that six minute movie than have read all my books combined (laughs) right twice or three times over (laughs) and so it's like man do you get money from that what because youtube has like pre-roll ad whatever the thing that you scroll through and then click don't watch that you get money from that somehow right yeah exactly you get a certain percentage of i don't know i don't know what the percentage is but you get a certain percentage of of those uh pre-roll ads and then at the end of my sketches i'll have usually like it's sponsored by some company that's like i do a little commercial at the end and people could click away from that so the money like comes from that and the pre-roll ads and then, like, if if someone wants to buy a T-shirt, I'll get a little percentage yeah. of that. It's just kind of like, in that sense, yeah, I'm doing well on the internet in that, like, I have an audience that watches this stuff that I put right. out. I mean, these are like Justin Bieber numbers, as far as I'm concerned. Once it's over a million, it's all the same it's to all, me. It's all Bieber from there. <laughs> it's all, Drake, it's, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like you're in that, to me, it's, it's like in that world, because it's cool. I mean, but TED Talks get that kind of get that kind of uh, uh, numbers, but it's really, it's cool. And that you could, you could stay alive off the micro, the, the addition of all the micro pennies, yeah. whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. That is my full-time job. hundred percent. Yeah. So you don't like go to clubs and do like stand up and stuff. 
Uh, I did for a couple of years, but it's um, in Montreal. It's not it's not like, say, in L.A. or New York. There are only a, a couple of stages. Uh, and oftentimes you're performing for a crowd of eight drunk people who are all the other comedians on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so after a couple of years, it kind of became like, well, I, where is this going? Um, right. But I also had like I had video editing skills and, and I'd been doing YouTube stuff for over a decade. So I, I kind of like started doing stuff on my own um i i had a, a youtube channel with some friends also uh that we still do stuff from time to time but you know as you get older it gets hard to spend a weekend making a three minute sketch video that nobody watches you know right and there's all this stuff you gotta do yeah right? and you need to be super consistent and have a crazy output to do youtube full time and so Every element that was leading to me not being able to make a lot of stuff, scheduling, finding locations, dealing with actors, I kind of took all that out by doing everything myself from home on a green screen. And I could shoot and write and edit whenever I want. And uh, So that's the way that works. That's a green screen. So when you're like in a pitch meeting mm -hmm. and we you have two shots, so one is the pitch guy and one is the, the studio executive. And they're like in this place. They're not really in a place. That's like a green screen. Yeah, they're not in a place. They're in they're in my basement. <laughs> so in your basement, you've got a green screen and a couple of decent cameras, I guess, and then you make all this. I just have uh, I have a extremely basic setup. I just have like a, a couple of things I bought off of Amazon: a green screen and a couple of lights and a camera that has a flippable screen so I could see myself. And uh, uh, that's it. I just uh, I spend most of the time writing, trying to find ideas, uh, and then the production part of it is really really fast. Like I. I shoot in like a like a seven minute sketch will take me 30, 40 minutes to shoot and then a couple of hours to edit. Right. But yeah, it's really the writing part. That's, Meantime, uh, yeah, you're writing a whole script and figuring out, you yeah. know, like each one of your things has a, a, a reversal, you know, a surprise reversal in it to get it up to another level. And that's what that's screenwriting. I mean, that's the real deal. Yeah, which is like I that's what I think my strength is, is 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 writing is, is comedy writing and um so that's definitely what I spend the most time on. And then, uh, or just staring at a blank wall, just waiting for an idea to come, reading, trying to, I'm just like looking for kind of nuggets of truth that I could find that I could turn into a sketch. Honestly, yeah. like, to be honest, a lot of my videos came from reading your books. Oh, like uh, present shock. I think I, I think I squeezed a good six, seven sketches out of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good. That's the one that uh, what's his face? Uh, uh, Bo Burnham read Present Shock. Yeah, and was like oh, there's some good material yeah, in here. Exactly. But I just write about it as kind of woe is me nonfiction. This is what's happening to our world. And then you guys are like, oh, this could be funny. <laughs> this like could, this has legs. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of yeah. I'm just like I think it's like a Chris Rock quote that I might butcher but it's like uh something along the lines of comedy is just telling the truth in a surprising way and right. so as a comedian you, you're always kind of like looking for those little nuggets of truth and and uh sometimes if i'm reading a, a book and something pops out like holy shit yes that's i've never heard it phrased that way or right. oh my god yeah that makes so much sense like oh yes that that explains it so well and that's like that's a little nugget that i can then take and be like okay how would i recontextualize this so that it's uh funny and uh what's what's a so sometimes that'll be a, a alternate dimension convention or right. just uh people speaking too honestly to each other about <laughs> about stuff you know I mean, I always feel like, you know, I've got this purpose, right? So my purpose is to help people kind of distinguish between what what just is mm -hmm. and what we've created. You know, what are the real underlying assumptions underlying what we're doing and who assumed them for us, you know, and do we have to keep assuming them? So I sort of feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like on a literary LSD, right? To <laughs> reveal <Yeah>. <laughs> the reality tunnels that we're in. What do you see or do you think of it this way? Do you feel like you've got this kind of purpose, this thing that you're driving towards? Yeah, I've, I like I've I've thought about that sometimes, but uh, usually the pace that I that I have to put stuff out doesn't allow for a lot of self-reflection time. I think that, you know, like when you grow up and you come into the world and you, you need to absorb so much information just to be able to function as a human being in society. And so 
you know, you learn what what a prison is. Uh, and you, maybe you ask a couple of questions and you're like, oh, that's where they put the bad people. Okay, got it. Oh, okay. And then they, they stay there for an extended period of time. Okay. But I find if you just ask why a couple of more times, like past the point of comfort, everything gets really ridiculous, you know? So that's kind of <laughs> what I've found is that like, I, I like asking why a few more times than is comfortable to kind of, you know, deconstruct those things. Like one of my videos is the 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 first guy to ever open a restaurant. And if you ask why, like, why are restaurants a thing? Well, because we need to eat a couple times a day or we die. Well, why do I, why am I expected to tip these guys? Oh, well, because the owners, the you know, that helps them keep the cost down. But I, but I still have to pay that cost. Yeah, because we don't, we don't want to do that. You know, like it's just like everything, everything just breaks down. So, well, because we're in this illogical reality. It's almost absurdist at that point. Yeah. And you just kind of have no choice but to have a basic understanding of things and act like it makes sense. So I I do like kind of pulling the veil back on that and being like, nothing makes sense. You know, I, I'm still trying to find that that balance between like, sometimes I want to talk about something that is very important. And I think, you know, like something like a social media algorithm tearing apart the fabric of society is, uh, is an important thing to talk about. But then my last video was about how the word dongle sounds like penis. So, you know, like I'm trying to find the balance between silly and serious. And <laughs> It is. Does, I always thought that. <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in other stuff? Like, do, are we, do you think we're just here and making each other laugh and try not to kill each other? Or do you like believe in like weird things like God and ghosts and fairies and shit. I don't know. I don't really have those any kind of <laughs> strong beliefs. Uh, definitely fairies. I do think that <laughs> okay. fairies and ghosts. Uh, but no, like I, I don't know. I'm. I often listen to podcasts or read books to try to you know get little insights of information about that. Uh, of like what a. What do other people <laughs> say about this stuff? Like nobody knows. So right. what do you? Where do they you say go they from do, it? But they really yeah. don't. Yeah, and you could be convinced of something, but you, nobody knows. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I don't really have any hard beliefs on any of that stuff because who knows? You know, what am I gonna base my entire life around a very specific belief? And and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the UFO, the UFOs are coming May fourth, twenty twenty seven. Oh, good. Oh, good to know. Yeah, I'll, not, I'll pencil yeah. them in. <laughs> I try not to get too uh, attached to anything other than uh, family and and love and and friends and uh, creating things. Um, I I just try to yeah do stuff that I enjoy doing and make people laugh, and then one day I'll die. And that'll be all right. <laughs> that's right. That's kind and either of something it. else will happen or not. Yeah. And then I'll yeah. get reincarnated as a squirrel or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> like, who knows? Or I'll get transported back in time and I'll be a Viking. Like, I don't know. Who knows? Your insight, like the way you think about things, did you just always think about that? Or did you like go down to South America and do ayahuasca with a shaman <laughs> and then come back and think like this? Like looking back, I, I studied media and communications uh, in university and stuff. But looking back, I was so focused on just partying that I was I was I was just trying to pass my classes. I didn't really care. But a few years on, I actually started to develop an interest in learning, which is something that, like you know, like uh, growing up, that wasn't cool. Unfortunately, it, it was very yeah. there was always this attitude at least in my schools of like, oh, I'm like, I don't even have to put any effort in and I could get like a B minus. So like, isn't that cool? So in the past five years, I've been really kind of just like reading up on things that interest to me. I've been doing morning pages, three pages every morning of just freehand, handwritten journaling, just anything it's just it's, whatever comes into your mind you just write it out it's almost like it has like the therapeutic effect of you know how they say if you're mad at someone write a letter to them and then don't yeah. send it you're just decluttering your mind and just being like oh yeah i gotta oh it's true i gotta do this today oh the cat just walked into the room oh my coffee is getting cold oh just oh yeah i got a project i want to do and then i also do like 10 minutes of meditation every morning and then that just kind of clears my brain and lets me uh focus on creative things so you don't have kids 
No, not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> their meditations. Their meditations. That's going. an important. Uh, yeah, if you can find thirty minutes of silence in your day, I recommend that. But if I can point to to something in my life that where things turned around and everything started going better is when I, I read Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And in that huh. book, you know, it's it's one of those books where you could, every chapter is, take it or leave it. Does this apply to you? Right. Great. No. Uh, okay. The chapter on ice baths, I'm not going to do that. But this chapter about doing morning pages really has been shown to help people's creativity and um, it makes it easier to write because you're used to just dumping your brain onto a page. It's like, it's like a muscle, you know? When I started doing that, I found... I found myself to be a lot more creative and that's when things on YouTube started working really well. And my, out, my output was, uh, became doable. Like my, my, my girlfriend, I don't know why she was with me in the first years of our relationship. We've been together for seven years, but I was like, I was so, I was working so hard and I was so stressed out in those, those first couple of years that anytime she, she would hear me breathe in the other room and just like, just these like deeply stressed size of just 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 awful but then when i started to meditate and started to do morning pages that that went away i don't i'm not as stressed about everything and she can actually tell the days when i don't do morning pages or when i don't meditate oh, wow. she can tell by my breathing she'll be like oh you should maybe do your morning routine huh I'm like oh shit, yeah you're right that's what <laughs> i whenever there's a problem it's because i haven't done that if i'm stressing it's like right, right i should just sit and breathe for 10 minutes I think it's something that should be taught to, to to children and stuff. And I think it increasingly it is. Being alone with yourself is not something that people do in general, which is why yeah. it's tough to sit around and not pick up your phone. Do you have a, a, a goal? Are you, do you feel like you're working towards something? Are you, are you like steady as she goes, this YouTube thing's working, I'm happy? Or are you like hoping like... Saturday Night Live sees you and then wants to do a weekly, you know, a weekly post. Yeah, that's a that's a question I'm 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 struggling with right now actually because when I started on YouTube, the goal was always to kind of just use it as a portfolio to show that I am able to write comedy and right. stuff and and perform comedy, uh, and it was never intended to be the job. It was always intended to be what will get me the job. But you know, something like SNL, which has always been a dream of mine reading what writers and and performers go through on there just to every week is a fight to get a sketch on the air you know every week you're you're fighting and you could have the best idea but maybe the host maybe you know Morgan Freeman is hosting and he doesn't want to do uh, your dongle video you know so then you just it, you just don't have any creative output that week so i'm in a great position now where i can do whatever i want from home and be paid to do it so it's hard to compete with that but i don't think i'm going to be doing youtube when i'm in my 50s so at the same time i'm trying to build something up on the side of maybe screenwriting maybe bigger projects maybe something in tv but yeah if something came knocking on the door right now like snl i'm not sure how i would answer <laughs> and i'd be interested to see you do longer form work even right on youtube you could mm -hmm. do a feature with these guys you know yeah yeah potentially yeah yeah you know, obviously, I'm a big fan of Bo Burnham, which I mentioned to you. And uh, I know when he got tired of his own face and started having panic attacks, he directed an amazing movie with other people, right. you know. So that's definitely like another avenue to explore. Maybe I don't play every character and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, once COVID is over, you can yeah, yeah, exactly. engage with other people again. Uh -huh. If you believe in COVID, that is. Uh, well, some can just engage already. God bless them. The jury's out on that. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> jury's out on everything the jury's just out yeah, ju they're just out yeah they're just out yeah they, we gotta get them back they're gone where did the jury go <laughs> it's like the greek chorus is like they've exited it's yeah. like we need them oh, oh oedipus don't go there come back <laughs> i could use a good jury oh oh my god i'll i'll let them pick everything not jurists but a jury yeah oh my god yeah we got a weird shit going on down here in america stay away stay away yeah i'll watch your... i'll watch from afar yeah you'll be safer you McLuhan was up there a lot of good folks were canadian yeah, a lot of good Did... canadians up here yeah you know you want to be within shouting distance but yeah not uh 
Not within our legal reach, if you can help it. All the best Canadians are from Canada, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. They should be. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ryan George, for, for the, the work you do, the comedy you share, the insights you bring us. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I, I fully did not expect this from uh, that email that I sent you. I <laughs> didn't even expect well, you sent an email with a link. <laughs> yeah. It was the link that did it. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you for clicking a random link in one of yeah. your emails. That's like, I yeah, can't advise that. Yeah, but then everyone that. I told, I said, well, I got this email from this guy. Have you heard of this guy, Ryan George? I'm like, Ryan George, he emailed you? <laughs> so uh, everybody here that I know is like a big fan. It was so oh, wow, excited. that's awesome. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan. Uh, like, uh, like I said, you've inspired many of my sketches uh, with the, uh-huh. with your books, and I will continue to uh, repurpose your work. <laughs> Excellent. Well, anything I can ever do for you. When you do a feature film and you need a cameo uh-huh. of a of an irate American media theorist, absolutely, I'm ready. I'm ready <laughs> for my close up. All right, all right. Thank you. Thanks for being on Team Human. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being on Team Human. Our guest today was comedian and YouTube star philosopher performer Ryan George. Check him out and you will be better for it. Team Human is produced by Josh Chapdelin, edited by Luke Robert Mason, and sponsored by you. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. <laughs> <laughs>